So if you have a Bible with you, Exodus chapter 2 is where we're going to go. If you don't have an Old Testament in your Bible, if you just have a New Testament, there are lots of Bibles in the resource room. Feel free to take one. Everything in that room is free. You are allowed to take that and have that. Uh, if you want to borrow it and bring it back, you're welcome to do that. But you are, we would love to put a Bible in your hands. So if you don't have an Old Testament, feel free to take one of those. Um, before I move on real quick, just want to remind you that after the service today, right over in this area, if you've been looking to get up to be a part of small groups and have not found a small group yet, we're going to try to have a little connections meeting. So immediately after the service, we're just going to pull everybody together who's not in a small group, wants to be, and just find out who you are, where you're from, what the night you're looking for, whatever, and see if we can help people get connected. So we're going to do that right after the service. Just wanted to mention that. All right, so Exodus chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Let me take a survey from you. How many of you today, or basically every day, before you leave the house, you check the weather for the day? How many people do that regularly, check the weather? All right, good. Well, a lot of you. Some of you are like, I don't even wake up. I just run out the door and it's snowing and I'm in shorts, whatever. Okay, so good for you. You got some faith. But a lot of you check the weather before you go out. Now, why do you do that? Why do you check the weather? Because, you know, sometimes they're wrong, right? Um, You check the weather because you would like to know what you're going to face for the day. You would like to know whether you're going to get drenched or whether you're going to be freezing or whether... and. And that's just normal. That just people, we like to know what's going on. We like to have kind of the the input. But honestly, if you could answer honestly, what happens when you listen to the weather, you take time to check the weather, you prepare for the weather, and the weather's wrong? What happens inside of you? You are, I mean, let's just say that they said it was going to be a chilly fall day and you you dressed with your sweater and your scarf and your boots and your whatever, and you're all ready for fall and turns out to be an 80-degree day, and you're just sweating all day. Now, as you sweat through the day, what's going on in your head? Stupid weatherman. You've got some choice words. You've got some choice thoughts about their heritage, about their mental capacity, about their job and what should happen to them because of this. And that's just reality for us because here we are roasting in my sweater or carrying around a useless umbrella. What's that all about? Here's what it's about. And, and you, if I was going to tell you but to, to imagine frustration, I know you would have no end of stories to tell me about what frustrates you because we live as human beings with frustration. But here's what that is. It's just one example of frustration. It is, I took the time to prepare so that I would know the right approach And then I acted on it. I took the actions that I thought were proper and they turned out to be wrong. I did everything right and what I did turned out to not work for me. And that's frustrating. And frustration is really a hard thing for us to shake in our lives. It seems like it chases us down no matter where we go. And so today we're going to look at how frustration feeds our failure. We've been looking at how failure is a normal part of our human lives. We don't like it, we don't like to admit to it, we don't like to embrace it, but it's there. And sometimes the answer in church is to pretend that it's not. Sometimes it's like, nope, everything's okay. What should I pray for you about? Well, you should pray for me because I just don't seem to have enough time to pray, you know. I'm just so busy praying all the time. Like we get these real spiritual prayer requests that said, pray for me, I just can't seem to stop failing. 
I just can't seem to stop blowing it. I don't know what's going on. In my, we can't do that because, you know, that would make us look like bad people or bad Christians. But the reality is we do fail. And most of the time, our failure comes from places in us that maybe we don't recognize. One of those places is frustration. We get frustrated because we think we know the right answer. We're trying to do something right, and it doesn't work out. But what can happen is that frustration can blind us. Suddenly, I don't know if this happens to you, but suddenly, if I get frustrated, it's no longer about trying to do the right thing. It may have started out by trying to do the right thing. But now it's just about making sure that I do this thing. And nothing gets in my way. And I don't care if it's the right thing anymore. It's going to happen because I'm frustrated. And that frustration gets overwhelming to me. And so maybe in that weather scenario, it ruins your day and you live sour for the day. And that sourness flows out to everyone around you. You didn't get up in the morning going, I'm going to be a miserable person today. I'm going to be as miserable as possible. But frustration starts to chew at your brain. And, and all of a sudden, you're blind to how insulting you're being to people, how sharp your words are, how your mood is affecting everyone around you. Because why? Because you're frustrated. And frustration does that. And so in much bigger ways, people can set out to do something good and then get sidetracked, derailed, or lost in frustration. We get frustrated when stuff, stuff doesn't happen when I think it should happen. We get frustrated when something doesn't happen how I think it should happen. And so we have people like politicians who, you know, a lot of those people set out. I know some of those people um, in my life from, from past and pre- they set out to do what is right. You know, they, they had a heart to serve and, and to make a big difference and to make a change. But because of frustration, they find themselves doing what is very wrong in the name of trying to accomplish something right. Or church leaders, you know, we have the biggest cause in the world, the cause of Christ, and we're going to make it happen. But because of frustration, I can set aside doing what's right in the name of trying to do what's right and just be a lousy person. And you see church leaders all the time who fail and fall and mess up. Parents, even employees, um, friends, neighbors, all kinds of people in the name of frustration, trying to do what's right, but winding up doing what is wrong. We're going to look at the story of one of the most famous characters in the Bible, maybe the most famous character in the Old Testament. Now, when we go to biblical people, a lot of times what we think is these people had it all together. But I think if you think that, you probably haven't been paying a lot of attention. You probably haven't been reading their story very much. I think you would be stunned at the famous names that come to your mind, outside of Jesus Christ, the famous names that come to your mind from the Bible, what their life story was really like. And so we're going to look at maybe the biggest name in the Old Testament, the character Moses, the person Moses. And we're going to look at three stories from his life today. And I think that they're going to show you uh, how Moses faced failure. Maybe more failure than you've ever imagined. I hope that you see that today. I'm really excited about this. I'm, I'm really into this. I don't know how long this is going to take because I have way too many thoughts to share with you. So just pray for me that it will be, it will be uh, streamlined. Moses failed and failed big time and he suffered for his failure. But as we close, I want to, I want to show you what God thought of Moses and maybe bring some hope to you. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 2. Now, as we get to Exodus chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 11. What happens before 11, I don't know if you remember the story or ever heard the story, but remember this story. Moses was born at a time when the children of Israel, uh, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were down in Egypt. And 
Joseph had taken him there. They had lived there in great splendor, but now they had become slaves. They had become a threat to the, the powers that be to Pharaoh. And Moses was born at a time where Pharaoh had commanded that all male babies be thrown in the Nile. That's unimaginable to us. Well, maybe it's not so much in our country to kill babies, but it's unimaginable that someone in charge would just say, well, you're a threat to me, so I'm going to try to wipe out all of the men. And so all the male babies were thrown in the river. Moses was also thrown in the river, but his mom put him in a basket and put him in the river. And Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the river and gives him to Moses' mother to raise Moses. So it's not hard to imagine what impact this had. As Moses heard the story of his life, think about this with me. As Moses heard what had happened, that he had been, his mom told him, you are an Israelite, you are a Jew, and I, I gave birth to you and I put you in a basket and Pharaoh's daughter found you. And she taught him about his heritage and about his people. But then after he was weaned and after he was grown to a place that, that she, he could be, he was brought back to the palace and given to Pharaoh's daughter and he was raised in the palace. Think about the effect that that had on his life. Moses was raised with wealth, with advantage. He was raised um, with lots of health, obviously, and privilege. But he was also taught and instructed. He learned how to write and read. He learned how to lead. He was a witness to the greatest power in the world at that time, Egypt and Pharaoh. And so the story begins here. Moses has been brought up in this scenario. Now, what did Moses, this is the question I'm, I'm trying to ask you. What did Moses think his life was all about? What did Moses think he was made to do? All right, so as, we, as you think about that question, we're going to read this story in Exodus 2, verse 11 down to verse 15. Here's what it says. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian, being a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. All right, so we got a story here. And this story, I think, tells us what Moses thought he was made to do. Moses winds up killing an Egyptian who is beating a Hebrew. And he, and he kind of goes, one of his own, in verse, uh, the end of verse 11, one of his own people. It starts to tell us what's going on inside of Moses. Why is Moses kill the Egyptian? Here's what I believe. I think Moses had put all these pieces of his life story together and had come to the conclusion that he was born to lead his people. That he was the one because of what had happened, because he had been rescued. He was clearly one of the very few, if not the only male child of that particular generation. And he had been brought up with all these advantages and all this leadership and power. And he felt called to lead his people, to rescue his people from this burden. And so when he sees an Egyptian beating one of his brethren, he kills the Egyptian. 
I'm going to stand up. I'm going to deliver my people. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Frustration is always born out of conviction. Frustration is always born out of conviction. Frustration does not generally come from vagueness. It is always born because I know what is right. I know the right way to go. I know the right time. I know the right person. I know, I am convinced, I am sure of what is right. Moses believed he knew what was right. He knew what God had made him to do. God had made me to deliver his people from this slavery. And, coincidentally, Moses was mostly right. But he was wrong. And that's what gets us frustrated. We don't have that humility. We have conviction. And so we move forward believing we know what is right. So he goes and rescues his fellow Hebrew, probably feels pretty good about himself, like, man, it's all happening. It's all coming together. This is really what, I'm so glad God, God made me for this. And, and here I did this. But next day, he goes to to two Hebrews who are arguing and says, what's going on here? And they say, what, are you going to kill us like you killed that guy yesterday? And suddenly, Moses realizes that his perspective is not their perspective. There was a witness to the, the murder of the Egyptian. It was the Hebrew who was getting beaten. And Moses thought, well, they're going to have my back. Clearly, they did not because the Hebrews know what happened. And so the Hebrews are saying, well, Moses is, you know, he gets mad, he gets frustrated, he just kills somebody. And so when they come to him, they say, what are you going to do? Who made you a ruler over us? Why are you in charge of us? Can you imagine what Moses feels like? He had been sure that this was his calling. He had been sure that they would be thankful. Is there anything more frustrating than doing something great for somebody else and them complaining about it? But he's mistaken about it. He doesn't know what their real reaction is going to be. And their reaction to him is, you're a threat to us. And soon enough, Pharaoh finds out. And Pharaoh, the man who had provided for him and raised him in his house because his daughter had taken him in, now this Pharaoh is trying to kill Moses. And Moses runs. All the advantages that Moses thought were key to his leadership are gone. All power, all wealth, all position, gone. Every spot that he thought would have been perfect for what God had made him to do are gone. It's over, and he runs for his life. And he probably felt like the biggest failure of all time. He's probably very discouraged and confused. It is a difficult pill to swallow. I was just trying to help. I was just trying to do the right thing. I was trying to do what I thought I was made to do. And somehow, it all caved in on me. Do you feel for Moses? We're going to jump to the next story. The next story uh, is in Exodus chapter 4. So just a couple pages over there. Exodus chapter 4. Now, second thing I want you to know about frustration is this. To wrestle with frustration, to, to struggle with it, You have to be really good friends with waiting. You have to be like on a first name basis with waiting. With nothing going forward. With things being stuck. With waiting for something to happen good. You have to believe on top of that in some way or at least have some part of you that believes that waiting means the end of whatever you thought for sure was right. 
Waiting means it's over. It's done. It can't be. The hope is gone. And so in Exodus chapter 4, we pick the story up of Moses' life 40 years later. 40 years. How long have you waited? 40 years later. Our, Our concept of waiting... Our concept of frustration is if I get in a line that's four people longer than the other line. Or, even worse, I get in the line that's shorter and watch those people go past me. Right? That's the definition of frustration right there. Of course, if you switch to that line, what would happen to that line? Right. So we know what frustration is, except we're talking about minutes. Right? Forty years later. Okay, that's where we pick this story up. Hard to believe that Moses has been away for 40 years. And for these years, he is about as far away from the leader he thought he would be as is possible to be. He is not in sight of Egypt. He is not in the realm of Egypt. He is not in a leadership role. He is an anonymous shepherd off in the mountains. Nothing like what he thought he would be for 40 years. And What did he think about himself all that time? Have you ever lived with regret? Have you ever replayed the events and wondered, what, where did I go wrong and what happened? How long did it take before he was convinced that what he had believed was wrong or was over? Either he was totally wrong in the first place, I wasn't supposed to be a leader, or somehow when I tried to lead, I blew it and it will never happen for me. Forty years he sits, watching sheep, 40 years believing he's a failure. How long have you sat in your failure? How long have you sat in the results of your mistake? 40 years? Maybe longer. Moses knew what it tasted like to live as a failure. But then one day, Moses the failure, Moses the anonymous, Moses the the shepherd who used to know power and wealth but now lives watching sheep, a nobody, has a conversation with God. And in that conversation, God gives him a call. And it's a call that doesn't feel right. Because what God asks him to do is what Moses had believed he was made for 40 years ago. But he doesn't believe it anymore. How do I know? Listen to the interaction in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Down to verse 13, it says this, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, Please send someone else. Do you see what failure has done? Do you see what frustration has done? It has brought Moses to the place where what he used to know about himself for sure, he now can't be convinced of. 
The problem for him, God comes to him and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. He says, I am sending you to Pharaoh. He appears to him in a burning bush and he says to him, I am sending you to Pharaoh to set my people free. And I'm going to give you three signs, Moses. And he gives him three signs. He gives him a sign where he puts his hand inside of his shirt and he pulls it out and it's white as snow with leprosy. And then he puts his hand back in his shirt, pulls it out and it's healthy again. He says, show that to Pharaoh. And then he says, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses says, that's my staff, it's my stick. And God said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake. And God said, pick it up. And he picked it up and it turned back into a stick. He said, show that to Pharaoh. And he said, now if Pharaoh doesn't listen to those two signs, then what I want you to do is I want you to take some water out of the river, out of the Nile. And I want you to pour it on the ground. And as it hits the ground, it will turn to blood. And all the river will turn to blood. I'm like, that's cool. I mean, you know, God showed Moses that it was going to work because he knew Moses was going to be hesitant. So God showed him, put your hand in your shirt. Look at that. And then push your hand in your shirt. Look at that. Look at this. So God showed him that he was giving him powerful signs. And he said to him, I will be with you and I am sending you. And so when he said to Moses, now's the time. Now is the moment for all that you had in your heart to come true. Moses said, please send someone else. Not me. It can't be me. I'm not the guy. I'm not that guy. I used to think I was that guy, but that blew up in my face. And so he says, after 40 years of living in that failure, he had been convinced that that's not him. That his failure was proof that he couldn't do it. What is waiting doing to you? What is waiting doing to you? Is it that you are getting confused that the enemy is attacking, that the things that God has put in your heart, he's whispering in your ear, you've blown it too big, you've gone too far, it will never be you, you're too weak, you're too incapable. Can you hear how Moses has rehearsed in his head his weaknesses? I'm not a great speaker. I never have been. I'm not really a bold person. I just, I just like to be away from everybody. He's rehearsed in his head. And so when God comes to him and says, I want you to do this, he goes, I can't do that. God says to him as his answer, hey, Moses, I will help you. I will help you. And I will tell you what we're going to see in the next part is that that's the key to this frustration, recognizing that it is not me doing it, but God doing it through me. God says, I'm able to give you all I need. I made men's mouths. I'm the one who makes them deaf or blind or, or able to speak. I am the one who makes mankind so I can do it. Moses says, no, I don't think so. Forty years of living as a failure is hard to shake. Even when God shows up to you in a burning bush and tells you personally that he has work for you to do, it's hard to believe. And I think in some way, God's been knocking on the hearts of his people here for you to rise up and do something for the kingdom of God. But your years of living as a failure have told you, not me. I can't do that. That's not me. What you're forgetting is that your failure is not a reflection of God's power. It's a reflection of yours. And when God calls you to do something, God will fill you to do that thing. God will enable you to do that thing. God will raise up in you what you never knew was in you because it's from Him. What we need to do is we need to take our eyes off of our failure and put our eyes on our Savior. That is what Moses has a hard time doing in this moment. Now, we're going to jump forward uh, 
a little, a few years from now, after Moses has become the leader of Israel and led them out of Egypt and the plagues have been rained down and they've escaped and, and they're out in the wilderness, Moses has met face to face with God on Mount Sinai. Moses knows God. Moses is established as a leader, but he's not exempt from frustration. So we're going to go to the, to the book of Numbers. So go over a couple, couple books. It's not the next book. It's the book after that, the book of Numbers and chapter 20. And we're going to find a story in Moses' life where frustration visits him again. And so as I read this story, Numbers chapter 20, verse 2 down to verse 12, I want you to listen for what you hear in this story, okay? So Numbers chapter 20, verse 2 says this, Now there was no water for the community. And we're talking about potentially millions of Israelites, up to 2 million Israelites. There was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I will give them. What's Moses going through here? What's happening inside of him? Frustration, right? He's here leading this people. He didn't ask for this job, but he's doing it. And he's out in the wilderness and they're saying, why did you lead us out here and why are you going to kill us out here? And Moses takes all these complaints and does what anyone should do. He goes before the Lord and he says, Lord, I don't know what to do. And God gives him instructions. All very good, but there's something inside of Moses and Aaron that's very frustrated with these people. And you can feel that frustration because when God tells him to go speak to the rock, what does he do? He hits it. Do you hear the frustration in Moses? You rebels, now you listen up. Must I bring water from this rock for you? Who's going to bring water from the rock? Me. Frustration will always take you back to you. You cannot live in faith and frustration at the same time. You can't. You choose one. But if you're in frustration, I know this, you're not trusting God. Because God even says to him, you did not trust in me enough. That's what this shows. You did not trust in me. You did not believe that I had it, that I was taking care of it, that this was okay, that this was going to be all right. 
And so I, I, I pull out of this. What drives frustration in us? Why is it so hard to avoid? Here's, the, here's what happens. Frustration comes when you believe that you need more than what God gave you. Frustration comes when you believe you need more than what God has given. Right now, right this spot, right this place, has God given you everything you need? Is He enough for you? Is His provision enough for you? Can you be satisfied in that? Or do you need more? That's the difference. Frustration is when you need a better way than the one God gave. And that's what happened to Moses. God said, I want you to go speak to the rock. Moses said, I got a better way to show these people. And these people need to learn a lesson. And so I've got a better way. God, that was a good idea. That was a good starter plan. But I'm going to add to that and make it so much better. Right? And so Moses says, I've got a better way than God. Here's three elements that are absolutely always a part of your frustration. Desire, pride, and strength. Desire, pride, and strength. Desire. What you want isn't what you have. You believe you know what is good for you. You believe you know what is good for others, but it is not the current existing reality. And because of that desire, you put that desire in the driver's seat. And I will get what I want for them or for me. I will get it. There is a lack of trusting God's plan, the unfolding of God's will and work in your life, God's timing in your life. It is what I want. It is what I desire. Second thing, probably easier to see in this with Moses, pride. I will bring water from this rock for you. What do I think? What do I want? What is my way and my idea? My goals are right. My scope of vision is enough. I see enough to know enough to have this conversation with God and tell him he's wrong. Pride. Do you see like God sees? Do you know what God knows? Of course not. But when we have this battle with God, what we don't recognize is that God knows more, God sees more, and that my viewpoint is so limited, I would do well to humble myself before God and trust in Him. And the third thing is strength. When I have the ability to do something about what I want, or think I have the ability to do something I want, and I can do it, then I'm going to. I am not surrendered, I am not submitted, my efforts and my work and my plans are not following God, they are following me because I want something, because I have pride and because I have the ability, at least I think I do, to try to make it happen. Obviously, Moses doesn't have the ability to make it happen. Moses was not so skilled with the stick that he hit the rock just right and just cracked it enough because there happened to be water in it and it gushed out and way to go, Moses, you're such a great rock splitter. I mean, it was a stick, right? Water came out of the rock because God brought water out of the rock, not Moses. Moses allowed frustration to drive him into sin, to drive him into wrong, to drive him into really rebellion. He wasn't ready to do something so weak as speak to the rock. He's upset and he's going to strike the rock and he's going to show them how frustrated he is, how wrong they are. God has given him some platform to speak and Moses is going to take it to show these people what for. But suddenly, Moses isn't doing what God asked. He's acting like he's the strength and he's the one in charge. And because of this, God says, you will not go into the promised land, you and Aaron. What was it that Moses missed? Moses missed that God is the one who does anything worthwhile. 
in you and through you. God is your strength, not you. God is your strength. Frustration wants to say, you should have the say. You should have the strength. You should have what you want. Frustration will tell you about you. But faith says, God has it. It's not up to me. Moses' role was never about Moses. It was about God using Moses. And here's the thing, and I just want to finish with this. Here's the thing that is crazy to me. When you go into the New Testament, and you can look this up later, in Hebrews chapter 11, Moses' failure was a pretty big failure. Big enough that God said, you won't go into the land of promise because of this. So you would think that as we talk about Moses, we talk about his failures all the time. But that's not what we talk about, is it? We talk about how mightily he was used by God. Isn't that crazy? I mean, if you read the rest of Moses' story, you could find plenty of times where Moses blew it, or Abraham, or David, or like we saw last week, Peter, or Paul. We could find lots of examples of the most famous people in the Bible blowing it over and over and over again. But we don't have that impression. Why not? Well, when you read the story about Moses in Hebrews 11, here's what it says. And it talks about the first incident we talked about, about where Moses killed the slave. Here's what it says. By faith, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now think about what we're reading here. We just read the stories. Is the first thing that comes to your mind, look at Moses, the great man of faith. No, it's look at Moses the weak. Look at Moses the mess. Look at Moses the failure. That's also what was going on in his mind. But here's the hope that I have for you. God's power is so great that it can take all your life story and all the miserable failures and all of those failures can fade into nothing because of what God will do in your life if you trust Him with the faith like the grain of a mustard seed. If you will just let God use you, you won't have to figure out how to fix your failures. They'll just go away as time rolls on. Because what will last and what will stand and what will matter is what God has done through you by faith. And so here we've got Moses, who I would go, man, I don't know about that guy. I don't know if you can trust that guy. He's kind of a hothead. He's one of the two men that stand on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and it seems like he's one of the prophets that comes back in Revelation to declare the second coming of the Lord. By faith, Moses. It's not about the way he messed up. It's about the way he believed. And I'm going to tell you this. If you define yourself by the way you messed up, you're going to feel real bad about yourself for a really long time, maybe 40 years. But start defining yourself by what you believe. Start letting your faith run your life. And when frustration comes up and tries to turn it back around on what you want and what you should have and what you deserve and about all those stupid people out there that aren't doing what they should do and they should listen to you, frustration... Tune it out. Tune back into faith. 
Because what God said to Moses applies to you. Do you trust me enough to just do what I asked you to do? I know this. There are lots of big callings in your life. I know parents who just want to do a good job raising kids. But it seems like nothing is working and they're frustrated. And so they start taking steps that they wish later on they hadn't. They start getting really upset and, and, and resorting to anger and, and yelling. I've seen people who are really worried about their kids and what they decide is that what they should do is skip church regularly so that they could be more connected to their children. I've seen people become bitter and distrustful of God because of what their kids choose to do. Why? Because they're frustrated. There's nothing wrong with wanting good things for your children. That's a God-given calling. But if you do it in your strength, you're going to wind up frustrated. You have to do it in faith. I've seen people go to jobs and they want to do a good job, but they're frustrated by the people around them. And I've seen them fall into bitterness and complaint, a, a, a dim, at best, light in their workplace. Because their reputation is one of somebody who knows better than everybody else. There's no humility. There's no grace. There's no kindness. There's no gentleness. They're the worst possible teammate because they know what should be happening and isn't happening. And all that comes out of their mouth is complaint, complaint, complaint. It's because of frustration. They want to do a good job. They're just a miserable person. I know people who are in marriages and they want their marriage to be everything that God wants it to be and they're convinced that it needs to be. But what they do in frustration because of pride and because of their own strength, they try to use every tool at their disposal to make sure their spouse becomes who their spouse is supposed to be. And there's all kinds of friction and bitterness and anger and, and wounding going on. It just pervades. Frustration is one of the ways that the enemy trips us up. He tripped up Moses Better men than us have fallen to it. But now we can be aware of it. And so today, the question that I have for you is just simply this. Maybe you've been desiring to do something good, but you're frustrated because it hasn't happened. Will you surrender that to God? Say, God, not my time, your time. Not my way, your way. I will wait, I will follow, and I will trust Maybe you can't get there because you're so discouraged about how it's blown up in your face. And it's, you think that that tells you your worth and your value. But God is reaching to you right now and saying, that's not your worth and your value. That's just an example of what happens when you do it on your own. So now I'm inviting you. Let go of your failure. Let me wash that away. Let that fade into nothing. And let me teach you how to walk out your life by faith letting me live through you. Will you do that today? Will you let God be God? Will you let him be enough? His timing, his plan, his path, his strength, the people around you that you can't control, all the situations and circumstances of life, will you let God be God in that? And just humbly give up so that God can bring peace in place of your frustration. I pray that you would.